Do I have to turn on anything here at all? Yeah? Okay. All right, gang, great to see you. We got the brave ones or the late ones right up front here. And I'm not sure which one. All right. Okay, well, partially for the purpose of the tape, this is uh, Fit to be Tied, uh, session number two, but we're having it during week three because we were on vacation last week. Uh, session number two is Love Languages. So this is a really fun one. But before we do that, a couple of housekeeping questions. Do you guys all have this uh, color cover to put in front of your manual? Everybody, you guys don't have it? Why don't you pass that back there? That's what we had intended to put in the Fit to be Tied manual. And a quick roll call kind of helps us kind of acquaint ourselves with you. So Ryan and Aaron, hi guys, from Bloomington. Anna and Luis from Lakeville. Jared and Paris from Bloomington. Uh, Emily and Nick from Lakeville. Uh, Sarah and Lucas is not here from The Rock, but he'll be coming in from Ireland tomorrow. How fun. Uh, John and Jessica from Bloomington. Good to see you guys. Patty, Dan's not here, right? Okay. Uh, Tom and Becky. There you are. Adam and Katie. Good. And uh, Ken and Shelly. And we still don't have Angie Sibley. Don't know if we're going to have Angie Sibley. Okay. Awesome. Great. Well, how did last week go? Um, one of the questions is family of origin. Um, I think there are two things. You were sent the survey electronically. How many of you got to that survey? Even How many of you received the survey? So we got all of you. All right. How many of you got a chance to open it or print it? Go through it. Okay. Well, it's highly recommended by the Odegaards. I'm, I'm not familiar with it yet, but I'd like to look through it this week. So if you get a chance, work through that. I, I think it was very helpful for them. How about um, family of origin questions? Did you work through that? And, and what were some of the ahas you had about mom and dad? Maybe some things they did that you promised you would never do. Any of you want to share any of those those kind of revelations with us? Yeah, Ryan. It's not too serious, but it kind of bothers me. My dad always, he's the one that always goes to work, comes home and sits on the couch and doesn't really do anything. Uh, and he always does stuff around the house, but he never really made time to come to any of my sporting events, which kind of bugged me a little bit. My mom was always there, every single one, but my dad, he'd kind of have to, my mom would have to kind of beg him to go, and he'd hmm. go, but not as often as I'd like. Uh, so your dad was around. He, he was around, yeah. He was just working or not yeah. not attending. Okay. And and what's the promise you've made? I plan on being involved in all my sport, in my kids' sporting events and stuff, and possibly coaching and things like that. Okay. Sounds good. Thanks, Ryan. Anybody else? Maybe other things, because there are other questions on that expectations homework that you talked about and that were interesting or revealing. 
Becky? Um, I kind of had an aha moment when um, Nathan was writing stuff on the board of um, like the, the the basic needs of a woman and the financial security. Um, it just kind of hit me because I was so young when my dad died and my mom ended up, you know, losing the family farm and stuff like that. And I had made one of those inner vows that I would never be bad with my finances. And not. But I mean, I'm probably to the extreme with it. So In terms of security. Right, mm-hmm. exactly. So it was it was a good eye opener for me. Hmm. Excellent. Anybody else? We had different expectations of working when we have children. Tell us. Um, I was more along, I was brought up with a dual income, so was she, but I was brought up with a dual income my mom had to work. And um, her mom wasn't at first, but then she went back to school. So I always thought that we'd have two incomes. But the more we talked about it, the more she gave me her um, ideas. It sounds better. I really don't want someone else raising my kids as well, but just the way the economy is and everything. My parents' marriage fell apart when my mom went back to school and decided to work full-time, and she started to get involved with other things outside the marriage, and so I think that that's kind of what makes me think that um, I'd like to um, be more of an at-home provider, uh, more so than, than working, and I don't mind contributing, um, but I wouldn't want to have to do that and have kids and do all of that um, I'd like to cut in other ways great conversations very very healthy awesome thanks yeah Tommy we had dinner tonight and I felt we had a good one about just parenting in general how uh, you know some parents you know become just like friends with their kids we just talked about you know family situations <laughs> and how important it is to remain the parent you can be friendly but not their best friends. Yeah, I think it's healthy to parent your kids. There's a time where you can become friends, Mm -hmm. but if you try and be your kids' friends early on, uh, it's very difficult to discipline them, to teach delayed gratification, all sorts of other things. So that's a good conversation also. Very good. Great. Awesome. Okay. Well, why don't you guys drop into session number two, communication and love languages, and uh, I'll share a few things about this. We're very excited about this unit. Love languages uh, was a great aha for us after we got married. So um, we were in our marriage, and uh, this was not part of uh, the original kind of fit-to-be-tied program when we went through it. And uh, we kind of went through it as a church, And it was just very helpful for us to go through it to learn about each other. So hopefully this will be a a great learning experience for you too, not only tonight but over the course of the week when you go through some of the homework. Okay, often we hear that opposites attract, and so that's the fill-in there, attract. And this is frequently true. Why? Why is that true? Patty. Sorry, I'll get to you in a second, Katie. I don't know, adventure? Adventure, okay. Something different from what we know. Okay. All right. Sorry, Katie. Well, that's okay. I finished what I was going to say. Just like 
to have differences so that you each can try new things and kind of get each other involved in different things, or just to have different things to talk about so you're not perfectly molded like each other. Okay. All right. Well, let me show you something. I'll start with this. Um, let's say, let's say there are two of you two meet, and let's see, let's see. There we go. Do that, and uh, you you really like each other. That's wonderful, um, and you feel like you have a lot of differences, but both of you are really into horses. You met riding horses, you know. You have something in common where you met. And it turns out that you both are nature lovers. And it turns out that you both live in Minnesota. And it turns out that you're, you're both Scandinavian or something like that. Now, you might have met each other, and there were differences that attracted you to each other. And they're very real and significant. We're going to talk about the importance of those differences. But there's only a, a perception of differences. I mean, there are real, real deep differences that attract you. But in reality, there's a lot you have in common. In fact, there's probably a lot more you have in common than you realize. You both speak English. I mean, if you come from different countries and different cultures, there's a lot more to work through in terms of language, cultural differences, in order to become one, to become husband and wife. So I just want you to, to realize that you have a lot more in common than you think. There's a big base of commonality that helps you to understand each other. Now, if you don't have that same kind of commonality, if you're brought in from completely different worlds, for example, you meet, meet on, uh, online, and you meet far apart. You're, you're in different states, different parts of the country, different ways of interacting. There's a little bit more you need to work through in order to get to know each other. Uh, there are a lot of givens in this kind of situation. There are a lot of commonalities. There's common language, common understandings. So, so I just want you to know that there's a lot of commonality that goes into most relationships. For example, if you meet each other in college, uh, you're both sophomores in college or something like that, you have a lot of common experiences already by the time you meet each other. So even though there is this perception of, wow, that person's so different, and it's true, and opposites do attract, I want you to know that there's a lot of power in the commonality that we have. And, and what we're sharing, more than anything else, we talked about this foundation, is our faith in Jesus Christ. Because our faith in God's Word and in Jesus Christ helps align us, and in some ways helps keep us aligned over the course of years, 50 years, because you know we tend to deviate in one direction or the other, and as we look to the Word, as we attend church together, as we... Uh, spend time in growth groups, we have a chance to talk about things and continue to kind of go in the same direction, even though we are different. And it's those commonalities that are so important to your relationship. If you continue to be just flat-out different, 
uh, it will be hard to stay together. Differences complement, but it's differences within the context of a common faith, a lot of common uh, desires, and, and that's why we're talking about expectations and so on, so that we understand each other. Okay, so with that in mind, um, I want you to know that there are differences that surface in the area of personality traits and love languages. Um, I am Jag. I am a people person. And I'm sanguine. So, and these are broad categories, of course, I do get a few things done. I can do tasks. It's not as though I'm incapable. But Sue's a little bit more task-oriented. And she's more melancholy. She's no, I didn't think I was. Right. Until after we were married. Mm-hmm. And we didn't get married until I was 30. And I was... Um, I felt like I had to be this single professional woman and hold it all together. And I don't think I really was able to let my guard completely down until I got married and I knew Jeff loved me just for who I was. And then my true self kind of came out. Um, I was raised in an alcoholic abusive family, so I think part of that um, part of what who I thought I was was really a mask because I had to hold it together. And when I was in an environment and a relationship that was truly safe and God-honoring and God-centered, um, I was able to just be me and know that I could be loved for who I was. So I really thought I was what Jeff was until I married him. <laughs> and, and then God used Jeff really to break down a lot of my walls and let me feel and be truly who he made me to be. Right. Um, yeah, in, in, in Sue's case, she was a go-getter, um, very financially savvy, far more than I was, uh, security-oriented, um, and uh, the one that held the, the household together, paid the bills, made sure that everything happened. Uh, in her home growing up, she couldn't express her emotions because she would be uh, poorly treated, mistreated one way or another. So she had to kind of put up a, a face. Maybe some of you have experienced some of that too. So she grew up for almost two decades kind of having to be this tough, strong person. And then even into her, her 20s, she just kind of carried that through because there was nobody to take care of her. Now, I'm not, I'm, I'm not saying that there weren't caring, loving people in her life, but she just kind of had to take care of herself. Um, on, on the flip side, uh, when we were in large groups, I really enjoyed a lot of fun, uh, attention, uh, doing kind of crazy things. Not Sue. She'd rather sit with one other person. If there was a group of 50 people, she'd love it if only one of those other people found her. And then she could just sit over coffee and talk the two of them while the other 48 of us are jumping up and down and having a good time. And so there's a big difference there. That kind of attracted me. And, uh, 
And, and I, in some ways, I think it's healthy. Because if both of you like to be the center of attention, then you can compete with each other. On the other hand, if one of you likes being active in a people person, the other one doesn't, well, then church is over. It's, uh, it's 12.30, it's 12.45, it's 1 o'clock. There are only 15 people left in the whole church, and I'm one of them, and I'm talking to people. And, you know, she's looking at her watch thinking, you know, we could have had lunch about a half hour ago. Uh, the uh, dandelions need to be pulled. There's a lot of stuff we need to do at home. Could you step it up? So you can see how that people-person uh, tendency of mine can be very irritating especially as time goes by. So things that on the one hand are attractive, on the other hand can be irritating as life moves on. So we'll get into that. Okay, prior to the very first marriage in Scripture, we read God saying in Genesis 2.18, it's not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. I love this passage because this is before the fall before there's any sin. And God says, something's not good. Those of you who have never been married before, been single all your life, have had to learn how to be a complete person as a single, and I understand that. And God can use you, and uh, God has ministry for you. But I think by and large, unless... God's designed us to be single. It's not good to be alone. Sometimes we fill that aloneness with fellowship, with roommates, with uh, good relationships. But the bottom line is it's not good to be alone. And what God said, the way that I'm going to solve this isn't with a boatload of people. I'm going to get one person for him. And this one person is going to be a helper suitable for him. I believe that the greatest calamity in humanity, and this was passed on to me by by another teacher, his name was Dr. David Ferguson at a conference I attended. The greatest calamity in humanity is aloneness. We're not wired by God to be alone. We're wired to be in community, and in particular, with the exception of those who can be single and serve God in an unabashed way as singles. God has designed us to be in relationship with a helper, a man with a woman. That's God's plan A. The word helper comes from the Hebrew word neged, and it means opposite or Help meet. And I want to write this one down. It's a really interesting word. It's not help mate. Literally, neged means help meet. And there are books written about this. But the bottom line is somebody who fits in with you and meets your deficiencies. And we all have needs. We have strengths and we have weaknesses. This is somebody who is particularly wired, almost like a puzzle, to help meet you where you have needs. Guys, you in particular. God has found somebody 
to meet you. Now, I think there are lots of different people that can meet your needs. I don't believe that out of the six billion, there's only one. Because God can bring all sorts of people to help you in your weaknesses. But whoever that person is that God chooses, that you choose, well, that's your choice for life. You need to love that person. I believe that this person is a counterpart or a mate. There's a completing that happens in marriage. So the areas where one lacks are filled by another. And the way that we love each other often um, reflects some of those differences. So remember, we're a puzzle piece. There are differences in the way that we love each other. In some ways, we need it, but it's good to acknowledge what those differences are so that we can understand each other. So we're going to get to this part. It's called keeping the love tank full. John 13, 35 says, By this all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Inside every person is an empty tank. And I'll make a picture of a tank. So, think of this as a storage tank, okay? Big old storage tank, 2,000 gallon storage tank. Uh, like, like an underground storage tank at a gas station, okay? A little bit of gas down there, just a little bit of gas. It's almost empty. Every one of us has a tank that needs to be filled with love. And when we feel loved, when we experience that love, we grow up in a healthy way. But if we don't experience that love as we're growing up, we misbehave. We look for love. We try and find ways to fill that tank with love somehow. And sometimes we receive that love, oh, maybe in, in the, not the best way, but it's better than we had before. Better to get a little bit in there than nothing at all. We crave having that tank filled. And we want it filled in a particular way, and I'll get to that. Um, so I want to I ask a couple questions here to you guys. When do you feel that your love tank is filled up? What small things does your significant other do that help fill that tank? You feel special. You feel cared for. You feel appreciated. You feel significant. What are some ways that your significant other does that for you. And I want to write them down. I think I'll write them down up here. So what are some? Quality time. Okay, well, that's, uh, I'm looking for small, specific things. Go ahead and think of a specific quality time thing. Um, well, we talked about it before, um, like turning off the TV and talking. Okay, TV off and talk. That's terrific. Yes, Patty. Patient. I'm just patient. When I don't understand something, I know to take the time to be gentle and patient explain it. Patient with me. Thanks. That's a good one. Yeah, Lewis. So she grabs my arm. <laughs> grabs me. 
Compliment? Yeah, Jessica. What kinds of compliments? Tell me. Tell me other compliments he gives you. Compliments. He goes to say a nice smile, or do you color your hair? <laughs> Noticing. Let's just say notices. Okay. Awesome. What are the small things? Little notes or things like that express some little sentiments or or Notes. Like what kinds of notes? Well, he's really great at cards. Okay. When he offers words of encouragement. What kinds? Like, um, we're working out and I'm just having to, I'm like, oh, I just can't get through this. Like, go, you can go, you can do it. Really great. Okay, so affirming, like, uh, Affirming positive words just when you're working out or something like that to finish, finish strong. Yeah, John? Um, when she calls me at work, just tell me little things that could wait to be told, but she just wants to tell someone when she calls me. Just calls. Oops. Terrific. Anything else? Yes, Aaron? Um, hugs after a hard day at work or just a Hugs. By the way, thank you for bringing that up. The order guards remembered to get these hugs for the winner of the newly red game, and I think Paris and Jared were the winners, weren't you? Can I throw it? Good catch. That way, guys. So they've got lots of hugs, and you can uh, save them for later, or you can uh, pass them around. <laughs> I'm teasing. Uh, any other uh, ways that you feel encouraged or significant? That your significant other does something for you? Yeah, Lewis. Laughs at my jokes. <laughs> okay. Laughs at jokes. All right, that's terrific. Things that I can't necessarily do for myself, like working on my car. Helps with car, and I'll say plus. That's really good. That's awesome. Okay, good. Let's just kind of think a noodle on those as we continue. Um, okay, I talked about the tank needing to be filled. And if it's not filled, we misbehave. But unlike cars, not all people take the same type of fuel. God made each of us uniquely. And we've been brought together by God to complement each other. Each of us hears or receives love differently. And each of us speaks or gives love differently. And these different forms of communication are called love languages, and they show up in a book by Gary Chapman called The Five Love Languages, from which this material originates. 
And those five love languages are the following. Number one, words of affirmation or encouragement. Words of affirmation or encouragement. Number two, quality time. Number three, gifts. Number four, acts of service. Number five, anyone want to guess at this one? Physical touch. Right on, Liz, physical touch. Okay, we're going to start out with words of affirmation. Proverbs 18.21 says, The tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it, the power of the tongue, will eat its fruit. A cheerful look brings joy to the heart, and good news gives health to the bones. We've used the living version in our house a lot. A cheerful look is good medicine, but a broken spirit saps a person's strength. So when our girls say, like let's say they're... Uh, complaining or whining about something, sometimes we'll look at them or they'll say to each other, you're sapping. You're sapping because they're saying things that are sapping our strength, sapping our, our energy. Their attitude is doing that. So it's been a helpful verse for us. An anxious heart weighs a man down, but a kind word cheers him up. Words of encouragement, compliments, and requests. And that's a big one, the word requests. Words of encouragement, compliments, and requests, not demands, all affirm the self-worth of your significant other. Words of encouragement, compliments, and requests create intimacy, they heal wounds, and they bring out a person's full potential. So what are some examples of words of affirmation in a person? Uh, well, it's encouraging to be acknowledged. You have a job, you're working. This may have nothing to do with your salary or compensation, but simply to be recognized is encouraging. And for some of us, it's very meaningful. For some people, they just work along. I don't care whether you say anything or don't. I'm just going to work. Uh, maybe reinforcing difficult decisions or showing support for wrong decisions. So let's say your man is a words of encouragement guy and he comes to a fork in the road and he turns right. He's doing the best he can. <coughs> and it's the wrong direction. And instead of getting there in 10 minutes, it takes a half hour. And you ladies, instead of saying, good job, doorknob, you know, you look at him and say, hey, you did the best you could, and it's amazing you were able to find a, a way in spite of the fact that we took a wrong turn there. Um, I love being with you, whether it's 20 minutes or 40 minutes. Or just showing some degree of support. That's very encouraging. Uh, speaking Kindly or gently or tenderly can be very affirming. Just your tone, how you share it. 
And, and this is the, where the request comes in, not a demand. Making a humble request, because that demonstrates submission and respect. Making a demand demonstrates authority or demanding spirit. It's just not as appealing. It's not as warm. When you make a request, you're basically leaving the response up to them. And it's very encouraging and very affirming. That's why it's so important to say, instead of, uh, make me some coffee, you're kind of making a demand to, um, honey, would you please make me some coffee? And they can respond and say, sure, I'd love to do that. Or, you know, no, I can't, I've got something else going on. They have the chance to respond in any way. Those are affirming words. Okay, quality time, number two. I think this happens to be a particularly high one for women. And I think it's just partly a gender difference. Now, I'm not saying the guys don't have this, but I think it tends to be a little bit higher with women. Spending quality time together through sharing, listening, and participating in joint meaningful activities communicates that we truly care and enjoy each other. And a central aspect to quality time is what we'll call level five togetherness. This is where there's some self-revelation going on, where something from within you is coming out. It's not just proximity, but it's focused attention and it's openness. Some examples of quality time might be uh, face-to-face coffee together, uh, not doing anything else, not accomplishing anything except looking at each other and talking. Now, a lot of you might have experienced, and soon I did, the power of prayer. Certainly, it's a cord of three strands. The Holy Spirit's involved in your prayer time. But I want to tell you something else that's happening when you pray. You're opening your life. You're exposing yourself to God in a very vulnerable way. And oftentimes, there's level five communication going on with God. God, this is what's happening with me. This is where I'm at. Help me. Help us. You're exposing yourself to God. You're praising Him. You're worshiping Him. You're giving Him your whole being. But if you're both doing that together, guess what? There's deep quality time happening. So if you're praying together, and if you're praying together 5 minutes, 10 minutes, 15 minutes, then you're spending quality time together, and that can be very bonding, especially if quality time is one of your number one love languages. Um, What are some of the ingredients of a quality time person? Uh, Well, number one would be active listening. And that means you're hearing what this person is saying and you're responding appropriately. You're not saying, "Uh uh-huh, uh-huh. You're actually listening and you're engaged in the conversation. And then number two, emotive speaking. That means allowing your emotions to be a part of the conversation. Okay, if that's how you operate and what you appreciate, then you may be a quality time person. Okay, doing things together that you love can also be quality time. Not just the activities, but when you're reminiscing or if you're planning for the future. 
these, these kinds of conversations together, again, express something deep within you. Reminiscing has a lot to do with memories, things that are important to you, and you're sharing them. So you're sharing kind of your life and your experiences and your emotions. Okay, and uh, e even brief, non-task-oriented conversations can be very helpful. Kind of check-ins. Uh, I don't know who it was that mentioned making phone calls. John, did you mention? Just having her call basically means I thought of you, and she's sharing something. It might not even be very significant. Nothing's getting accomplished, but it's expressing a degree of care and tenderness, and it's a beautiful touch. Okay, number three, gifts. Giving and receiving. Um, this is probably the most misunderstood of the love languages. Gifts are a vi visual symbol of love, whether they're items that you purchase or make. Gifts demonstrate that you care most often that you thought about them when you were apart, and they represent the value of your relationship. Someone who's not a gifts person must change their attitude about money. So if you're frugal, and if you're a saver, and the person that you're next to, your significant other, is a gifts person, you're going to have a hard time. Because you're going to feel like, I don't want to waste my money on flowers that last three days. On all sorts of things like that, that really don't have a ton of value, lasting value. I'd rather spend those $25 or invest those and watch them grow to $50 in 10 years. Okay, So you're thinking in a very realistic, shrewd way, but if this person you're with is a gifts person, in some ways you're saying, I don't love you. That can be very difficult. Um, someone who's a saver is going to have a tough time. Uh, in this case, money that's being spent on stuff is actually being invested in a relationship. And when you buy that stuff, you're filling the love tank. That's why it's so important to recognize what the love language is. And I was wondering, Sue, if you wanted to jump in on this one. Yeah, sure, go ahead. Our, um, we all have love languages, but can I just hold it? But everybody has a love language. Our kids have love languages, and you can see them as they get older. Our oldest daughter's love language is her number one love language is gifts. It happens to be the last on both of our lists. It's really it's a good thing. Well, for it's us. a good thing, but it's a yeah for us. But we need to love. Our daughters, how God created them. So just yesterday, for example, our oldest daughter loves hot chocolate and coffee mixed together in the morning. She's, she'll turn 15 tomorrow. And um, she asked if I would buy some Giadeli's hot chocolate mix. Okay, in my mind, that's pretty spendy. I mean, I want generic Flavor light hot chocolate mix. What's wrong with that, you know? Well, and, and she asked for it, and I thought, oh. And I went to Sam's Club to see maybe if I could get it a little cheaper because I'm frugal. <laughs> and they didn't have it. So I went to a festival and found it, brought it home yesterday. I said, hey, Tess, I got you something. She said, why don't you get my mama? And I said, 
I got you your hot chocolate mix. And she said, you did? And I said, yeah. And she said, what kind did you get? And I said, well, look. And she was overjoyed and gave me a huge, huge hug and said, oh, Mama, you really love me, don't you? I mean, honest, you guys. Now, I think for us, because we're a little more immature, we don't come right out and say, you really love me, don't you? Um, but I think gifts, if, if your significant other has the love language of gifts, if, if it's high on their list, it's very important to meet that. And sometimes it's, it can be just for my, my daughter, it can be a piece of gum. You know, it can be um, just anything that she feels like I'm just giving her. And the challenge in our house sometimes is our second, our second and third daughter don't have that love language. But as a parent, you want to love your kids equally. But we can't because it's my number one daughter, number one language. So she tends to get more little extra special things because it fills her tank up. So. Great. Thank you. Yeah, our other daughters have different love languages and we try and meet them in different ways. But you want to try and be fair. Very hard to meet all our love languages and be fair at the same time. So the bottom line is we're not fair. We're not always fair. And we tell them that we're trying our best girls, but we won't always be fair. But we do love you. So, you know, we kind of acknowledge that from the outset. Okay, these gifts do not need to happen every day or week, and they don't have to cost a lot, whether they're free or expensive, frequent or rare. The gifts themselves are a visible expression of your love for them. And anyone in this class who is a gifts person, if you think you are a gifts person, can you share with us an example of how somebody has given you something and it had great meaning to you? You just really appreciated it. And, and maybe you feel as though gifts is significant for you. Anybody want to share? Nobody has it? Well, they may still be working it through. I'd be shocked. Okay, I have it. <laughs> I, mean, I would really be surprised if no one in this room... So tell us how gifts manifest itself for you. Um, well, I read the book many years ago. Okay. figured it out because I always show my love yeah. to people with gifts, whether it's a card or I make something for them. Or if I'm right. shopping, I think of them and find something. So, um, but like for Christmas, Tommy had gotten me snowshoes, which is what I had really, really wanted, and we had been talking about it, and so that definitely meant a lot to me to get those. So. Very sweet. We have a dear friend uh, who just loves knickknack things. She gives us knickknack things, and you know, if we just give her little things. Whether they're expensive or not, we, we try and bake her, her favorite cake on her birthday every year and just give that to her. We don't do that to everybody, but we know that particular gift is so meaningful to her. Sue's mom is a gifts person. So we try our best to receive the gifts she gives us, which mostly, not always, but sometimes are junk. I mean, some of the stuff we get is, is just not very useful to us, but we try and receive it graciously 
because it's so meaningful for her because she's expressing her love to us. And for us to say, no, we don't want that. We don't like that. What a waste of money. Take it back. Which is maybe what we're thinking sometimes would not be accepting her love. It would be very hard. And then we try and reciprocate in ways that are meaningful to her. But that's, I think gifts is a difficult one to understand and to continue to build into. So. And likewise, our oldest daughter is the most generous of our Very much so. go out and she'll just come home and have bought her sisters each something. Yeah. Um, so she definitely receives and gives love. Yeah, we had a car problem. We had to put in a new engine in our car uh, years ago. And our girls don't have much money. But because of number one, and I want to say they were eight, nine, and ten, seven, eight, and nine at the time, um, my oldest helped rally the others, and they gave us $500 of their money. And we were flabbergasted. I mean, it cost $2,000 to put the motor in. We were flabbergasted. They didn't have a whole lot more than that. But it was so meaningful for all of our girls, but our oldest in particular, to give that to us. For us to say no would have been to say, we don't want your love. And actually, I, I did say no. Yeah. I mean, to Jeff, I said, we can't take this. And the girls weren't around. He said, absolutely, we need to take it. Because they were showing us love by doing this. We need to take it. It was very hard, though. Mm-hmm. So. so keep that in mind. Okay, acts of service. Uh, this one tends to be a little bit higher for men. Okay, Men t- tend to speak this one a little more easily. You, my brothers, were called to be free but do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. So, acts of service, very biblical, appropriate thing. We should all do it in various degrees, but for some of us, it's more natural. Criticism of your partner's failure to do things for you. And some of you have heard this. It's a honeydew list. Maybe an indication that you're an acts of service person. So, you have this list of stuff. You like getting stuff done. You're a list person, and you feel great getting stuff done. Well, you've got a list for your, you know, your significant other also. And if they're doing it, you say, great, good job. Kind of, you're feeling loved. But if they're not doing it, you say, hey, what do you do all day? Look at this list. Did you get any of it done? You have this natural inclination to want to get stuff done. And if it doesn't get done, or you can feel unfairly treated, or you can feel like your love tank is empty. Um, Acts of service should never be coerced or demanded. In many ways, they lose their value at that point. So if you have a honey-do list and you're demanding and it gets checked off, it's hard to feel as though you're loved because you're demanding it. But if you've got that list and it, it's happening voluntarily, that's very meaningful to you. Um, so these acts should be freely given and received and generally done kind of according to the way that you want them done. Because everybody has a particular way they like things done. And if, if your significant other does them that way, it, it's very meaningful to you. If they don't do it that way, it's almost like they didn't do it to begin with. It's almost like it doesn't count. The requests give direction to love, but demands or nagging deny the expression. 
of service because then it becomes a duty or an obligation and it stops the flow of love. So if you're an acts of service person and your significant other isn't doing the stuff that they're supposed to be doing, there can be kind of a crazy cycle that happens here. You want them to do it. You demand that they do it. They finally do it under compulsion, but they don't do it quite the right way, and nobody's happy. If, on the other hand, you know, Nick, let's say you know Emily's an access service gal, and there are a lot of things that need to be done, like washing the car, and she doesn't say anything to it, but you just do it, then she just feels loved, because she didn't ask you to do it, didn't demand that you do it, and you did it anyway. If, on the other hand, he was supposed to do it three days ago, and he doesn't do it, and you say, do it, do it, do it, you're nagging and demanding, and finally he does it, it doesn't have the same kind of meaning, because it wasn't voluntary. <coughs> so, uh, if you're an access service person, be careful that you don't become demanding. And if your significant other is an acts of service person, do the best you can to serve them before it gets to the place of demands. Does that make sense? And it can be hard. What does she want me to do? I don't know. That's where she can kind of give you some direction or he can give you direction. That's where the direction helps, but not the demands. Uh, when we do free ch what we do for each other before marriage during the magical period of courtship or engagement, however, is not an indication of what we'll do after marriage, and we'll get to this. There's a magical period that you're all in right now, courtship, engagement, and uh, we'll get to this, but what you're doing for each other right now won't necessarily match how easy it is to do once you're married. We'll get to that. An access service person does simple chores around the house easily, quickly. Garbage, dishes, laundry, fills up the car with gas, all sorts of other things. They just do it easily. Okay, now we come to my favorite, the last one, physical touch. And, and I think, does it also say closeness and proximity on yours? Yes, Becky? Tommy? So we're on number five, physical touch and closeness proximity. Put that next to it. And it says this in Mark 10, 16. He took the children in his arms, put his hands on them, and blessed them. Appropriate physical touch is very common, but it's often a misunderstood expression of love. It can reach to the depths of our being. As a love language, it is a powerful form of communication from the smallest touch on the shoulder to the most passionate kiss. If your partner's primary love language is touch, there may be nothing more important than holding hands or holding them when they cry. And your tenderness, your touch will be remembered long after the crisis has passed, but if you failed to touch during that crisis, it may also be remembered for a long time or never forgotten. A touch person is sensitive to both positive and negative touch, so there's touch that can express irritation as well. If, if you're not a touch person, you don't get easily irritated by touch. 
If you are a touch person, you like to be touched in certain ways, not touched in other ways. And you have to be a real student of your partner to know what touches are encouraging and building and what touches aren't. For me, for example, just being in church, sitting next to each other, I feel greatly affirmed if Sue just puts her hand on my back and rubs my back a little bit. I feel connected. I feel loved. I feel appreciated. I've touched. It's a very simple thing. It's not a sexual thing. A lot of people tend to maybe connect physical touch with the sexual interaction. That's really a very small element of it. Um, anybody here want to give us a, an example of how physical touch has been very meaningful for you? Anna? <laughs> Great. <laughs> um, uh, just um, if Louis will hold my hand when we're walking, um, that's the deal. Even though it's like harder for him to walk without like swinging his arm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, so that's nice. <laughs> yeah, I think holding hands very significant if physical touch is, is high on your list. It's just a, a, a way of showing tender care, very appropriate tender care. Other physical touch examples you guys can share with us? For me, sometimes if I have a sore shoulder or something from working on a project, she'll just come up behind and just give me a, a quick neck massage or shoulder massage to work out the kinks. It's just nice to have someone who can do that for you. It's a great example. Great. Okay, well, um, filling the love tank for Jeff. Let's see, I want to get a different color. Excuse me. My love languages are touch and encouragement, words of encouragement or affirmation. Uh, Sue's are acts of service and um, uh uh, quality time, quality time. For both of us, gifts is down here, way down there. Um, it's been very helpful for us to recognize what our love languages are so that we intentionally speak them. Um, gives us a sense of security and self-worth and significance. And I want to tell you why it's important. Because right now in your season of courtship, you tend to speak all five love languages fairly easily. Part of that is because you're putting so much energy into this. Um, you may have jobs, you may have other commitments, but right now pretty much your whole focus is on each other. So you can serve each other, you can give each other post-it notes. You can rub each other's backs. Uh, you can have coffee together and look at each other face to face. Um, you can even give each other gifts. It's fairly easy because you're, you're consumed by this person. And that's a wonderful thing. But does that last? You'd like to think it does. 
But the reality is life comes in and shakes you up. You go through all sorts of different seasons of life. You ladies, you get pregnant. You have a baby. Uh, do you think the baby takes attention and time? Absolutely. There are all sorts of things that maybe health issues. There are all sorts of things that come up in your life that cause you to not have as much time to focus on this person. So what happens? We tend to default to our love languages. We tend to only speak what we easily receive. So for Sue, if she's really tired, uh, she doesn't have time to put her hand on me and rub my back because she wants to get some stuff done. Or I want to go to sleep. Or she wants to go to sleep. Yeah, absolutely. And it's legitimate because there's a lot going on. Kids take effort. Life takes effort. So she does all sorts of service things around the house with the kids. And then she might stop for a minute with coffee at the table. And she's looking at me and saying, all right, I've got five minutes to talk with you. Things are going on with our kids. We need to sit down. So I'll come up behind her and I'll touch her. I'll rub her back. I'll give her a kiss. Love you. And I'll say an encouraging word or something like that. And then I'll and go. I'm thinking, unload the dishwasher. And I, I'm playing. Yeah, I'm rolling around with that's kids. That's how I want to be loved. Right. You know, my plate's full. If you want to love me, unload the dishwasher. And he's saying, no, no, no. I want you to love me. I want you to kiss me. Or, or I'll play with the kids. Uh, kids always need attention, so I'll roll around on the floor with the kids, pick them up, have fun. It's really easy. I mean, it takes energy, but. Boy, for me, to, to touch them and love them, it's just natural. But to stop and do the dishes, well, well, who cares about the dishes? Leave the dishes. Let's play. So life has this way of getting so busy, seasons of life catch you, that you tend to speak only your love languages. What happens if I do this over the course of five years, ten years, and Sue does this over the course of five years. What happens to us? Not supporting each other. Not supporting each other. Adam, you grow up on How many of you have heard couples say, we fell out of love? Anybody ever hear that? Do you want to fall out of love? How can you not fall out of love? What's one way? Nick. By putting that other person first, we've been through this a little bit, and I totally do what you just did. I do, I'm acts of service, and I, act, I think she wants acts of service. So I'm not putting her above me. I'm putting me above me. And that, that's something that <clears throat> I need to work on. Well, it's normal. It's normal to speak what's important to us, our love languages. And, and we're going to do it. But if you can just stop sometimes and say, all right, uh, I'm going to vacuum. I'm going to spend 15 minutes vacuuming because I know it's meaningful to her. Now, I'm not buttering her up for something. I'm doing it because she needs to feel loved and I need but to love her. it does butter me up. But it does. It fills my tank. Right. And so it makes me want to love him. Right. If I, if I serve her, and if I actually 
stop and say, so how, how was your day? Um, how are the girl, how's raising our girls going, training? What's going on? How was the day? Because, you know, before I was a pastor, I was a geologist, and I was out of town a lot, and she desperately needed some kind of communication. So if I'd stop and look at her, how are you? And uh, she might say, oh, he's trying. He's trying really hard. Uh, but I'm, I'm, I'm going to respond. And hopefully we can kind of engage. And she appreciates my feeble efforts sometimes. But we get there. And at the same time, she doesn't feel like she has any time to encourage me. She says, work needs to be done. There's no time to be flapping my jaws or saying something encouraging to you, buttering you up. But she'll stop and she'll write notes or, or she'll actually just kind of call me in the middle of the day just because I appreciate that, just because she loves me. And it has this way of doing the reverse of falling out of love, of keeping you in love and of demonstrating to this hurting world that you guys are crazy about each other. And that's a, those are marks of a great marriage. But it takes effort, really. I don't know if you can imagine it right now. But, but when life catches up with you, job, there's stresses, there are these storms of life that come in, into your world, it's really hard to stop and say, I'm going to get out of my mode and I'm going to love this person. But you have to do that. And that, that's why this particular unit can be so helpful. Um, okay. I think that's about all we have for tonight. Um, we've got some great homework for you. Uh, you'll notice the homework 3-1 says, take this test. Pink is for ladies. Blue is for men. This is actually written for husbands and wives. We changed a couple of the questions so they would be appropriate for uh, non-married courting men and women. But take the test. It'll take about oh, 15 or 20 minutes for each of you. Feel free, after you take the test, if it expresses something to you that you didn't know before, or maybe there was just a little bit of a twist, you say, I, I wonder if that's true or not. Ask your parents. Your parents probably know you pretty well. So you could lay out these five different love languages and they might be able to peg you in two minutes or ask some of your friends there might be some very dear friends who know you pretty well and can also help you now I think it's important to peg your top two and your bottom one because if your bottom one happens to be your significant other's top realize you got a lot of work ahead of you not a bad thing but you're going to have to be very intentional about giving this person love because it's going to be easy for it to fall off your plate. If physical touch were Sue's last love language, it'd be hard for us. She'd really have to work hard to give me a sense of love, and, and it would take effort, right? You know, and I, I'll just add, I thought physical touch was really high, on our on my list when we were courting and it turns out to be not my top two so 
But it is Jeff's number one love language. So, and I am not a outwardly very physically affectionate person. So I have to really make effort. Well, not. I love to kiss him, but to kiss him in public so other people can see, it's kind of, I had to work through that. But it means so much to Jeff if I do that. And the other thing I want to say is seasons of life are so huge and real. We had three kids under three. And um, when his love language is physical touch, number one, and I have three babies and I nursed all of our girls, and, you know, you have them around your leg, you have them spitting up on you, you have, they, they're crying, they want to be held, and then Jeff comes home. And I'm like, the last thing I really want to do is have anybody touch me. And the first thing Jeff needs is for me to touch him and love him and be close to him. And what do I want? I want a little downtime. I want time to myself. I want to get away. And not that I shouldn't have that because I need that too. But I need to be very cognizant to meet his needs. Um, And that means, you know, sometimes planning my day a little bit so I can take a nap. So at night I have a little bit more energy so I can meet some of those love needs in Phil's tank. So I know you guys are in this, you really are in this magical period where you're speaking all these love languages pretty easily. And if God brings you to a point of marriage, and we've been married 18 years, and almost 18 years, and I still have to think, oh, I'm not really filling his tank. I mean, we went away to Florida, and I got to fill his tank a little bit, I think, because we had time. Um, and sometimes you just have to do that. You have to say, you know what? We need a weekend away. And he would love it if once every three months we got away. And I'm like, oh, it's a weekend. There's so much to do. And so I need to say, you know what? Let's do it. Let's go. So I know right now you think it might not be work. But it, it's work, but it's fun work. But it's worth it. Yeah, a quick comment, uh, kind of springing off of what Sue said. Right now, your physical touch uh, expression is probably artificially high. All of you may feel as though physical touch is among your higher love languages. Um, but, you know, it may be artificial. It may not be real. Because you are touching each other to some degree, hugging each other, holding hands, and there's a certain exhilaration and excitement that comes with that, and that's fine. But uh, you may feel as though physical touch is your highest, and I wouldn't be surprised if, if you took this survey two years from now, three years from now, and it dropped a couple of points. So don't be surprised by that. Okay? Well, that's all we've got. Why don't I pray, and we'll end our time. Um, I'm still working through mentor couples. I was gone until uh, Sunday, so I haven't done any mentor couple matches. I had a couple of requests from some of you, some very strange requests. You guys asked for the Rambergs, who haven't attended Evergreen in about six years. Oh, and, and I think they're very competent. I don't know if it'll work, but I have no reservations about them. They're wonderful. Uh, and there are a couple of other...
So I'll be researching some of your mentor couple requests. Uh, some of them, uh, for example, I'll ask pastors at your location if they're in a good position to be mentor couples. But uh, others of you are just trying to match kind of based on your circumstances and profiles. Uh, is there homework? Okay, there's a CD homework this week as well. Are we handing out the uh, CD cases today as well? Oh, you gave them out last week? Good for you, Tara. Okay, all right, let's pray. God, we praise you for this particular uh, night, a chance to learn and grow. And I pray, God, you'd be with each couple as they go through these uh, inventories, these surveys to find out what their love language is. I pray, Lord, that they would love each other up this week, that they'd fill up those love tanks. I pray, Lord, that they have a really good time uh, with this particular homework and uh, look forward to connecting with everybody again next week. All this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thank you, gang. Um, I keep forgetting. Are we supposed to end to at 8 or at 8.15? 8.15. Well, you've got 15 free minutes. So if you want to ask us questions or the other guards questions, and we happen to have the Leonards here as well, if you want to ask them any questions, uh, we'll be here for as long as it takes.